Hello, and welcome to Writer's Group Therapy. I'm Tom. And I'm Roshni. We're writers helping writers with whatever writing ailments you might have. Whether it's related to your craft or your career, we can help. Are you ready for your session? The The doctors doctors are are in. in. Hey, Tom, how's it going? It's going great. I got a challenge for you. What's the number one uh, box office uh, leader this week? This week? This week. I actually don't know. I haven't been paying attention. It's not a movie. It's not Barbie or Oppenheimer because that was over the summer. Yeah, it's Taylor Swift's concert show is number one. You're right. You're right. I mean, is there anything else even in the theater, though, right now besides Eras? There are some other movies, but not like any big names or anything that that the studios would want the actors to be promoting. Yeah. You know, we had a whole bunch of movies that were delayed because of the SAG after uh, strike. Um, uh, You know, that things were actually almost done or were in post-production were delayed because of you know, the, the fact that the actors cannot do junkets and go on promotions yes. and, and that kind of, and they can't even talk about projects and you know about yeah. that sort of, and we actually yeah. have a, a an episode of uh, writer's group therapy that we've been sitting on because the release of their film, uh, the, the, the person we interviews film was not, you know, they don't want to release it until the strikes are over and they can go full yeah. on with their marketing. So it's yeah. kind of interesting. Yeah. Taylor Swift's um, concert pick is a, uh, number one again it's not it's the second week it's number one over 100 million dollars domestically yeah although to be fair i feel like even if there wasn't a strike going up against taylor swift's concert movie it would have still she still would have dominated the box office regardless of what was happening but it helps that there's really nothing else out there too you know what i'm saying yeah i haven't i i went to the theater to see something a few weeks ago now i can't remember what it was oh i I, what, was that good, Oppenheimer? huh? I did see. Oh, I saw Oppenheimer. I did see Oppenheimer in the summer, and mm. then I saw something else at the theater, and I can't remember what it was. <laughs> oh well. Yeah. It's been yeah. It's been an interesting season. We're half. We're, I want to say we're halfway through the strikes. We're like we had two strikes simultaneously: the writers and the actors. And the, the writers have, I, I I guess, are pretty much back to work now. The daily, uh, you know, talk shows, the the late night talk shows are yeah. all back on, which is kind of nice. I forgot how much I miss those guys. So they so they, just they for ramped context, up quickly. Just for context, the writers went on strike in early May, and that ended. I think it was earlier in October, right? Where the talks mm-hmm. like late September, early October. Yeah, it was basically the, about six months. Yeah, the actors went on strike. I want to say June or July. It's actually been about two and a half to three months as of this recording. It's the longest actor strike now on record, I believe. So counting back October, September, August. So yeah, like July-ish, August-ish. It feels longer, honestly. Hmm. Interestingly enough, I've seen quite a few um, YouTube videos about like the top movies on Netflix and the, the top Korean action movies. You know, they're out there promoting things that are available because you know the international and independent stuff can still produce more stuff and promote them as whereas the domestic stuff is all is mostly just stalled yeah yeah it's interesting that so many of the top action movies on on netflix are actually foreign films they're they're not actually domestic Mm -hmm. 
I mean, meanwhile, so technically the writers are back to work. There have been a few uh, hiccups. I don't know if you've seen some of the headlines regarding some of the talk show writers. It's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. But uh, in general, it's still fairly quiet. I kind of assumed. So when the writers came back, I mean, obviously it's like, you know, starting a big wheel or something, right? It takes a little bit of momentum. But I kind of assumed that the writers would go back to work now and we'd start seeing filming like end of November, December. But since the actors are still on strike, we'll probably see the writers going back to work right now. And then who knows when we'll start filming again. Yeah, there are things there are things coming out. I checked deadline and they have a list of like, you know, fall premiere dates. And there's a bunch of stuff coming on streaming, like on on you know Amazon Prime and Netflix and and uh, AMC. But they're kind of things that were already filmed before the strikes that just weren't released yet. So this is not I was going to ask. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty yeah. sure most of that stuff was like already filmed and just in post when the strikes happened and they may just sat on them for a few months. Um, because now they can start promoting them and and as they launch them. So there's a lot of new stuff coming out. There's still quite a bit of reality in there, actually. But mm-hmm. things I'm most looking forward to is uh, on Prime Video, Upload has a new season. Have you seen that show? It's, no. It's, it's a, a futuristic uh, sci-fi comedy with Robbie Amell as a, a genius you know, programmer guy who's murdered. And his consciousness is uploaded into basically a kind of online retirement home for dead people. <laughs> it's really kind of funny. People live in a virtual world after they die and your mm. family can kind of like buy you, you know, a package at the retirement community online. But that's come out. Um, there's uh, new episodes of like Fear the Walking Dead coming out this month. Uh, and then uh, a lot of stuff is, like I said, international too. BBC has some things coming up. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll be I'll be honest over here in L.A. It's still fairly quiet as far as filming and stuff. I mean, there's still commercials have always been going. That was well, they something. They, that... Can they do auditions during the strike? They can't even do auditions, can they? Um. OK, so we can do commercials. Commercial auditions. Yeah. Yeah. We there's, uh you know, some non-union things, I think. Student films. I have seen a rash of student films. Hmm. on the breakdowns because i mean they can do it you know like they're not beholden obviously union projects are on hold so that's not happening and you know what's interesting i don't know have you been following the talks yes a little bit yeah i guess they were they were talking a lot and then they stopped um yeah everyone's kind of hopeful there for a while it's interesting because you know the writers got okay so when you break it down at its most basic thing the actors and the writers are basically asking for the same thing, right? You know, higher and better residuals, you know, probably better tracking for it as well because mm-hmm. of the streaming, AI restrictions or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, ethics around AI. Those were the two basic things that both parties were asking for. The writers got what they wanted. And the actors, it broke down. And I thought it was interesting. I was I was reading up on it. It had to do with a tax of some sort. Hmm. So they're basically asking for, um, because they're not going off of numbers, right? With like broadcast, you can see how many people watch a a certain show, correct? Mm -hmm. So you can, you can kind of scale it based on like, Oh, this one's really popular, but this one's not as popular. So like, this is the amount of residuals get, this is the amount of residuals get 
off of both shows. But with streaming, they're going off of subscribers, not viewership, as far as like, you know, residuals and all that stuff. I mean, there's more to it. Look it up. <laughs> we'll put we can put uh, articles and stuff in the show notes. But the basic thing is they want to I think it was like a dollar per subscriber would go mm-hmm. to residuals. And then they they kind of finessed it to like I think it was like 50 something cents that takes out like news and sports or whatever. But basically each subscriber that residuals for the actors is like built in to their purchase, which is where the companies were like, no, that's too much money. And I mean, I, I get where they're coming from because how do you, how do you, how do you quantify it if they're not going to give us the numbers of like, you know, Stranger Things has X, you know, amount of viewers, but you know, this other show does not, you know, like, mm-hmm. That's the model. And you, and you know they have exact they have you know perfect data on that. They know exactly yes. how much is watched and you know how many people started watching something and stopped watching and they know everything. But yeah, I did hear about the you know the residual thing being a sticking point. And mm-hmm. I don't think it's unreasonable. It's just yeah, you have to be able to do the math to be able to calculate the residuals. And I did see something about I think it was Disney um Disney CEO was talking about that greater transparency is coming for the streaming service. Again, it's not a matter of they don't have the data. It's that they just don't want to share it. And yeah. I, I yeah. don't see why that's an issue. And the fact of the matter is streaming services will have much more accurate data than broadcast. Because, you know, they literally can tell you down to the, the, the second, you know, when someone's watching, whereas broadcast people are relying on, you know, reporting by, you know, Nielsen viewers or whatever. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they could even tell you probably like, hey, everybody watched this one show up to like the 20 minute mark and then turned it off. Like how how good would that be for writers? Can you imagine this is a really random side tangent? But no, like if you were okay, as as a scientific data, you know, gathering thing, if you're like, okay, I'm writing for this show, but everyone clicks off at like the five minute mark, then, you know, something's wrong. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. in a way. That data would actually be really nice yeah. just to know, like, where am I going wrong as a writer? <laughs> I'm not grabbing their attention. It's kind of like the old test audiences for, like, sitcoms or or whatever, where they actually made a gizmo that you could turn a wheel, like, whether you thought it was funny or not. Like, how funny was that joke? And they could calculate, you know, how many people in the audience thought a particular joke was funny that way. But really? yeah, they should, they, yeah, it'd be interesting if they made more interactive TV stuff where you could do that. I mean. One thing is they could, you know, if depending on the device you're watching on, they can get a better accurate count of uh, how many people are watching. Because whereas with the old style system, it's like it's based on households. Like you don't yeah. know if there's one person watching or four people watching because it's a living room TV kind of thing. Versus if they're watching on an iPhone, it's probably just one person, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. You don't usually get a, a family of four sitting around the iPhone. But you're right. I, mean, I can um, see where the data would be bad too. Like if you watch it on your TV and then you just like walk away because you're doing dishes or something. Like you don't know if they're really watching the show. But anyway. Or like my parents who leave the TV on all day long for the dog, <laughs> keep the dog oh, entertained. No. Yeah. They're like, oh my they're, gosh, they love everything on this channel. <laughs> yes. I'll, um, I'll because uh, uh, what's the dog? I forgot my uh, oh, Izzy. Izzy is their dog. They're a little Bijan. Is you know Izzy is counting towards the ratings <laughs> of. Uh, of usually uh, uh, CBS, I think. They usually leave a lot on CBS. Oh, that's funny. Yes. 
anyway, but yeah, going back to the how you de- calculate all that, and then how do you you know compensate the proper you know shows and then the proper actors on the shows for their work is you know that's the big question. But it's just a you know a, a logistics problem that can easily be solved. So there's no reason not to do it because of you know the the it's not a we can't do it. It's more of a we don't want to do it. And I feel yeah. like. Um, I feel like the studios will come around to some. They just have to find a number, I think, and they'll 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 be okay with it. The math is pretty astounding when you think about the number of subscribers. You know, you're into the tens or hundred of million, you know, subscribers on some of these services, and you know, if, if it was a fifty cents a uh, you know a user, that's a lot of money. You know, it's yeah, which is great for actors. I mean, Netflix just announced they're raising their their rates again for both, you know, the ad tier and the premium tier. I think it's going up to about twenty three dollars a month, twenty four dollars a month for the ad, the the old style ad free service. You know, and mm-hmm. it used to be like, you know, just a few years ago, I remember it was like fifteen or sixteen dollars. And you know, so it's it's grown a lot, you know. And you know, they're making a lot of money every month, so I don't feel like fifty cents of that twenty five dollars or twenty four dollars is that much to ask for from a from the union standpoint. No, oh, I agree. I mean and honestly, the way things are going anyway, you know even when I first got here in twenty ten, I think people had that thought of like, you know, I can live off residuals and stuff like that. That that dried up like around twenty fifteen. And and so it's a lot harder to make a living as an actor and know that it'll be sustainable in the long run after you've retired. You know what I mean? In a weird Mm -hmm. way, like put it like this, residuals are sort of like our retirement fund. It's like our pension. And it's not even that secure because it depends on like, were you on a hit show? Are they still playing it in syndication? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But in a weird way, residuals are sort of like our version of retirement. Right. You know, and I don't think most people get that. They think, oh, like actors are super overpaid and blah, blah, blah. Not really. The point is 90% of actors are not A-listers and we don't make that mm-hmm. kind of money, you know, and you're mm-hmm. lucky if you're if you're in the union and, you know, following union rules and only working union jobs. If you're not at that level, you're lucky to get a job a year. A lot of actors are waiting tables or doing other side jobs to make ends meet while they're waiting for the acting jobs to come. So it's, it's a lot harder than people think. Oh, absolutely. No. And, and even if you, you get a, a gig on a show or on a, on a movie, like you, like you said, you spend a lot of time just getting the gig and then, then you do the gig, then you're waiting for whatever the product project you were in to be released if it's released at all. And that money could take years to come when you get residuals, you know, when you start to yeah. talk about, um, does it get theatrical release? No. Does it get a streaming release? Does it get, you know, international distribution? All those things take a lot of time, and and eventually, you know, the actors are kind of whittled down to the bottom of the the, you know, the ladder of who gets paid, um, you know, because you got the distributors, and then there's the producers, and then there's the you know the writers, and you know, there's a lot of people involved, and then you know, so the actors are kind of, I don't say, you know low man on the totem pole but they're not that high unless unless you're like like you said an a-lister negotiates things up front and gets a big payday just for being in it a lot of times actors get paid very little to be in something and they may not get residuals 
And with even though there's a lot of content being developed, it's still it's still being divided up by the audience is being divided up so much that the residual amounts are less. You know, I guess in the day when you had five or six main broadcast networks and you were on a show and you, you know, it ran for seven years and then you got residuals, you made it, you were, you were set, you know, but now because, you know, audience are so much more divided, the amounts, the, the, the studios, the networks get for advertising is less. So there's less money to be distributed down that ladder. It's a very different, you know, world. Even with the concessions that I think that the Writers Guild got, I still think that the industry has changed so much that it's it's still going to be extremely difficult. It's still not going to be. I think I still think writers are still going to be struggling a lot. Oh, for sure. Yeah. The landscape completely changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean they they addressed a lot of the issues, and the, the Writers Guild did a great job getting a lot of concessions, but. At the same time, it's in a different world than it used to be. So mm-hmm. the piece of the pie is being divided into a lot more pieces so that, you know, getting your piece of the pie is a smaller piece than it used to be. And one thing that I remember I discussed this with a friend of mine who's uh, in the actors union. Another thing that people don't really realize when they're like, oh, you know, actors and writers are all fat cats asking for a lot of money. The the ultra low budget rates, like the bottom of what we would get paid, which I think was like 100 or 125 a day. And you think, mm-hmm. okay, that was like a 10 or 12 hour day. That rate has not changed since I got out here in 2010. Wow. Okay. Inflation has gone crazy. Other industries have probably, you know, doctors, lawyers, engineers, whatever, you know, truck drivers, hopefully inflation, you know, their salaries have risen with that, but we're still getting paid for, you know, Wages that would have worked 10 years ago, barely 10 years ago, mm-hmm. probably more, try for more like 15 or 20 years ago, and we're still working for those wages. So mm-hmm. we haven't negotiated for the cost of inflation. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is probably thought. another thing residuals was supposed to kind of protect against, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of interesting developments there. Hopefully we'll see some uh, uh, movement on the sag after side soon. In the meantime, what else have you been working on? How's uh, book four doing in your series and um, any uh, updates on that? Uh, Yeah, so book four, Heir of Crowns and Curses, just came out mid-October, and I've been promoting that and um, learning a lot about the self-publishing world still after three years. There's a lot of mistakes I've made, so don't don't do what I do, guys. Um, (laughs) It's a headache later on. But basically, I mid-release, I had to delist a lot of my books because there was a little snafu with the ISBN numbers that it had, it had been an ongoing issue for several months. And I didn't know what the problem was or where to go or how to solve it. And like I was waiting on other people to kind of like tell me like what was going on. So that takes time because they had to do research on it and all this stuff. So I think it's finally fixed. Um it was a yeah, headache. it's interesting. Yeah, I, <laughs> I always thought that the ISBN number, the the kind of the book's identification number, was like attached to the book at the beginning, and it stays with it its whole life. But you're saying it doesn't. It's, no, it's, it's more not, to do with the it's publishing. It's not that. No, it's not necessarily that. There's part of it, but that wasn't the issue I had. Um, so every format of a book gets a unique ISBN. So an ebook, a paperback and an audiobook, which is what I have, the formats that I have out for each of my mm-hmm. books, 
those all have unique numbers. The problem was somehow my audiobook for book one and my ebook for book two had the same numbers as did the audio for book two and the ebook for book three. Oh, which doesn't always like it hadn't been a problem up to that point. But because I was changing like how I was doing some things, it started to be a problem. So I was like, Uh, well, I'm early enough in my career. I should just fix it now. It's a mm. hassle, but I'll just get it done. And now it's it's set. It'll be a bigger hassle later if you didn't fix it. So Exactly. Right. Like if I get to like James Patterson levels, I'll be like, oh, I should have corrected that, you know, because it does restart. It does restart the clock. I've had to delist my books and then relist them. So I basically lost all the data as far as like sales ranking and stuff like that. So I'm like, oh, man. But, you know, what can you do? It is what it is. Yeah. But yeah. So check your ISBN numbers, guys. (laughs) Don't do what I did. Yeah, we talked to a lot of authors and, and uh, you know, set, m- many of them are self-published and it seems like, you know, it, it's uh, it's it's not an easy task. I obviously have been helping uh, my mother as a novelist as well, and I've been trying to help her with her marketing. And it is, uh, you know, it's great that you have the option to self-publish, but it is uh, definitely a lot more work um, and uh, takes a lot of expertise that most writers have to kind of, you know, have a learning curve to get into. You know, writing a book is one thing, but marketing it is a completely different thing. Yes, so true. I mean, and it's really, it's really such a long haul and you really have to think, I mean, it's like everyone always is like, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint, but it is like a five-year marathon. You know what I mean? And like, even for example, so I'm now on book four in my series, I'm working on five. I'm planning on seven total for this series. I'm also planning on like a prequel series as well. So like they they also say like sometimes you don't even see any traction until you've completed the series because people don't want to buy something if they think you might not finish it. And if you take like five years to write one book and then you take another five years to write the next book in the series, you might lose them in between. And I'm like, you know, when I read that, I was like, oh, my gosh, it makes sense because I can think of mm. some series that I loved. And because like they switched publishers or whatever, the series never finished. And like, yeah, I was very sad. And I even like you know, hunted down the author and like wrote them directly. And I'm like, when is book three coming out? You know, like, cause I wanted to read the next book so badly, but like, what can you do? Because they were beholden to different contracts and stuff. So, but it, it's, it, there's definitely a lot more, um, just a lot more to the marketing and approach than I thought in the beginning. Mar- in, in a way, marketing a film is a lot easier. <laughs> Oh yeah, that was. I feel like marketing our films is pretty cool, and the film festival, you know, circuit is kind of a great way to get exposure. But you see faster results. You see faster results. You do. You do. Obviously, um, you know, it's it's uh, it's actually cool. So our couple of our films are actually out there on various streaming services. I get a, I get a residual from Amazon every month or every couple months. Oh, nice. Two dollars and fifty cents here and there. (laughs) In. 50,000 years I'll have recouped my expenses. <laughs> yeah. You're like you're like writing a check to the actors like 0. 0.5 cents. Here's your no, cut. actually yeah. I was what's even like half of a penny. I don't even know how you'd write that. 0. <laughs> 0.005 cents. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Oh, yeah. Here's word. your residuals. Thanks for being in my movie yeah. 25 years and, ago. <laughs> and see here's the thing too. So when we did that film was like what 20 2014 2015 yeah 
roughly. And like, you haven't even recouped your costs and you're waiting for the residuals to help you recoup those costs. So like, think about it, bringing it back to the strike again, how much more for like the writers and the actors, how long it would take to see any return on that investment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I had an issue with um, one of the licensees that uh, licensed uh, reclamation and synesthesia was uh, in Russia and they have ghosted me. I had a contract with them that was really good. They they owed me money, like like a couple, few hundred dollars actually, and they have not paid. And they actually sent me a report that showed that I was supposed to get paid, and then they never paid me. So try to chase that down. Oh my gosh! Like, Especially when it's such an adversarial country right now. So wait, like, aren't they just supposed to? It's are you direct with them, or are they like through Amazon or something? No, it's direct through them. They actually, I actually oh. found them through you know various um, licensing. Um, yeah, lists of companies to contact and had a deal and signed contracts, even had the lawyers look at the contracts. Yeah. Um, I have not heard from them. I haven't been able to find them in, in uh, it's been a couple of years now. Oh my gosh. I don't even know how you would track that down. It would be nice to get the money, but it's, I mean, it was more important to get distribution, you know, in 13 mm-hmm. different countries. Uh, so I yeah. hope people are enjoying it, <laughs> enjoying the films. <laughs> I didn't expect to ever make money on that, but uh, it would have been nice. So Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's wow. Yeah. I don't even know how you would. What a, mm-hmm. what a hassle. Yeah. Where to go with that. Yeah. You kind yeah. of counting on them to follow through, but oh, well. That's funny. How about you? What have your film too. <laughs> how about you? What have you been up to during the, obviously the strike would affect you differently out in the Midwest. <laughs> yeah, I've been uh, working on some uh, projects. Uh, I'm still doing a lot of rewriting, and uh, I I've been having meetings, monthly meetings, with a story producer through the Get It Made program that I'm part of. And oh, nice! This is about basically reading my projects and giving me notes and getting them polished for you know ready to go to market kind of thing. And I've had some really good um, uh, meetings, and they've in fact the last time I talked to the story producer, he's like. I'm looking at 40 different projects and yours is one of two where I've had barely any notes. So that's, he's really, he was very complimentary in my writing and, and, you know, had very few fixes. So I'm really excited. So that project is actually in the catalog with the, with the get it made team for, you know, going out to meetings and stuff. Pretty excited with that. So if we can just uh, finalize things and make sure that the, we're, we're happy with the script then that one will be done and we'll move on to the next project. So I'm, I'm actually uh, working on several, projects with them so i'm pretty excited so are you going to do like a sizzle reel or something or Um, like well that's the group that we write a lot of proof of concept uh films little short films to try to help them so the next step would be um attaching people like either either attaching like a director and an actor that can then go film like the that five minute five six minute proof of concept film to then then go out to sales meetings and say look how cool this is so that's where we're at, you know, so that would be like the next step would be kind of finding a, a showrunner. Um, this first project is a pie as a TV show. So finding a showrunner slash uh, and or director to, you know, kind of um, sign on and say, yeah, I, lo- I like this project a lot. And then an, maybe an actor that could fill one of the main roles and then, you know, put that together with a little bit of a little bit of funding, a little bit of uh, elbow grease to, um it's so much easier to show somebody a five minute film than to hand them a pilot script and say, what do you think? 
you know, if they yeah. can watch five minutes and go, oh, this is going to be cool. I get your vision totally. Then yeah. they're, they, they're easier to get on board. So that's kind of where we're at with that. I do have other assets that I put together, like a lookbook and I have a pitch deck and those kinds of things as well. But obviously having something, you know, having people attached and having some visual reference, you know, is a really great sales tool. I wonder if there's going to be something in the future as a calling card, like in between the sizzle reel and making the entire film. Well, I don't want to start a whole conversation on AI, but I think it's heading in that Please, direction. Please, no. Please, no. Yeah. Well, the the AI video is is rapidly evolving, you know, so. Are people using AI for pitch? Uh, I don't know. I haven't seen any myself, but I've been looking at the tools and seeing how they could be used. I've actually yeah. explored um, Leonardo AI is a, a kind of a um, like a dolly kind of visual um, image mm. generation, uh, text to image generation thing. And over the last six months, I put in prompts for some of my projects and got in first, I got like really weird stuff out. And now I'm starting to get, it's still weird, but it's not as weird. It's more, mm. it's not like I would use it, but it's definitely starting to understand what I'm trying to get at. Like um, yeah. for Dreadnought, my, you know, big battleship kind of uh, AI story, you know, it's starting to come up with visuals. I'm like, well, it's kind of getting the idea and it's almost where we you know, maybe in another six months, it'll be where it like understands me better, or maybe I need to prompt it better as well. But I think it's getting to the point where at least still visuals are starting to get there. So I think video visuals will be not far behind it. So if you want to create, especially for something that's like a big action sci-fi kind of thing, like you want to create that, you know, that cool animation of, you know, the action sequence that's going to be like, oh, that's so cool. You know, it's harder to do things with like actual actors, obviously, because you don't have the scans of all the people and that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's a lot like when people did um, sizzle reels using videos from clips from other films. Oh, that's right. Yeah. You know, if it wasn't being used to put online, like onto YouTube or something like that, if it's just using as a, as a pitch for a pitch meeting, people would sometimes take cuts of action shots and characters and actors from other films and kind of hack it together in a way to show like, this is the tone and the idea for the film kind of like that, but doing it with, you know, wholly generated things that are not, you know, copyrighted. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. But I don't think we're going to see, you know, full on trailers or sizzle reels that are AI generated too soon. It's there's stuff coming out, but I don't think it's we're we're there for it's where it's commercial ready yet. I mean, I'm not even talking necessarily using AI to do it, but just if there's something in between a sizzle and making the full feature that's a little more interactive than a lookbook. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just don't know if there's like something in between. I I know like, for example, one of the things like that I was doing and I have other friends who are doing it too, is just turning their scripts into podcasts yeah. because it's a much easier way of presenting it, you know, in a medium that's easier to digest than just reading the written word, but it's low cost, you know? But it does take time. <laughs> so there's that. It's, and it's not cheap. Um, we have it's uh, not, several yeah. people in our group that have, have done a few of those things. And, they, you know, it takes time. It takes money. You did it. You did your podcast. and Yeah. It was cheaper than making it a pilot, for sure. But it still mm-hmm. cost, you know, a little bit out of pocket. So... Yeah. All right. Well, that's a wrap up on what we've been up to this in this early fall season. We'll have to keep you guys updated on when things uh, develop. Yeah. 
And if you guys have been affected by the strike in any way, or if you know of any good shows or whatever, <laughs> let us know in the comments. You can follow us online at writersgrouptherapy.com, at WGTherapy on X and Instagram. And I think that's everything, right? You didn't say Twitter. Right? You didn't say Twitter. I know. I had, I had to think about it. I'm like, what yeah. is it called again? On good Twitter job. X. Yes. All right. And see we will see time. you guys in a few weeks. <laughs>